0: Well, Dell, thanks for sharing your story with us. I love that last part about you attending church in your PJs. And yet with the announcement this week of our restart plan in BC, going to church in your PJs might soon be a distant memory. Though I do have to say it's comfortable and the coffee is good. So as we move back toward in-person gatherings, gang, we're going to have to flex some muscles that are a little bit flabby, and we're going to have to relearn some old habits. And it's going to be hard work to relearn how to do community well, and how to show the kind of love and care that Dell and Carolyn experienced when they came through those doors. But hey, I know you guys, Jericho, and I know that you can do it. Well, my name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And if you're new or visiting with us, maybe you saw us on Global BC Morning News this past week or heard about us on the radio or you, and maybe you're just poking your head into the door to check things out online. Uh, if that's you, I want to extend a very special welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. And during our weekend teaching times, we're working our way through one of the accounts from the Bible about the life of Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew. And we're asking and answering Answering the question, who is Jesus? And today, Jesus is going to give us some insight into who God is by telling us a story about a group of workers, a vineyard, and a payment system that makes God look like a raving socialist. So we're going to look together at Matthew chapter 20, uh, verses 1 to 16. And I'd like to read it for us as we dive in together. If you have a Bible, that's great. If not, we'd be happy to get one to you. We've given out several to people who have stopped in for prayer with our pastoral team here over the course of the past few weeks. So if you need one, uh, please just reach out and be in touch and we'd be happy to get one to you. So just use the email address prayer at Jericho ridge.com and we'll be in touch. So I'm reading Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16 from the New Living Translation, and the words are going to come up on the screen here for you. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard, and he agreed to pay them the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace, saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. And at noon, and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. And at five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. So the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and to pay them, beginning with the last workers first. And when those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, yet you paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. And he answered them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I did with my money? Should you be jealous? because I am kind to others. So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. So Jesus lets us know that he's telling us this parable, this story, to help give his listeners and us a clear picture of what the kingdom of heaven is, is like. And this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, it's a kind of shorthand for the place where God is in charge and where things happen as God intends for them to happen. And that's why Jesus invites us to pray in the Our Father prayer, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is saying to us, this story, this parable is going to help you and I understand what things are like in God's economy. When God is the boss, this is how it all goes down. And Jesus actually starts this conversation earlier in Matthew chapter 19, verses 27, where one of his original followers in the first century, Peter, says very brazenly to Jesus, uh, Jesus... Those of us who are following you, like, we've made a whole ton of sacrifices to follow you. I'm not sure if you've noticed. We've given up lots of things. But I was just wondering, what will we get for all of our troubles? Like, will we get some kind of special merit badge or a bigger mansion over the hilltop or some kind of seat closer to the throne in the age to come? I'm just wondering, asking for a friend, of course. And Jesus responds to Peter by saying, Peter, when the world is made new in the age to come, the real heroes will be revealed. The ones who served behind the scenes and never made the headlines. The people who gave up their lives to serve others. The people who faced rejection from their families and yet still chose to follow God anyway. See, there are millions upon tens of millions of people down through global history who were faithful to God and never really got what they deserved in this life. Hebrews 11 talks about that. And so Jesus has essentially in answer to Peter's question. Peter, don't worry. They will indeed get what is coming to them, as will you. And what's coming to them is not only eternal life, which is a deep and personal relationship with the creator of the universe that starts today and goes on forever, but they will also be seen in the age to come for what and who they truly are or were. Absolutely amazing people who have given up many things so that they can be closer to Jesus, and they in turn, in fact, will receive their reward. See, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus is very clear when he says this, many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important will be the greatest then. So this parable is actually telling us about a very real and future event that's going to touch all of our lives, a time just beyond the end of each of our current natural existences where we will stand before God, and God will give out a kind of payment, a recompense for that which is deserved. And the parable helps us understand that some people may be surprised at who gets what. And that is why, full confession time, This is my least favorite parable of any of the parables that Jesus tells. Because if I ran the world, I would run it like a meritocracy, which is a fancy word meaning that everyone would get what they deserve based on your work ethic and the effort that you put in. Even other ancient rabbis in Jesus' time told stories like that. They would tell stories about workers who accomplished in two hours what it took others the whole day to harvest, and so they were rewarded for their amazing labors. But Jesus, in this parable, unveils a very different picture of reality, one where he says, "...the last are first, and the first are last." So in order to understand what that means, let's look more deeply into the parable. I grew up in a farming community, and so the notion of the harvest and the notion of needing extra help during that intense but brief period of time is forever seared into my memory. And when you live or work in an agricultural industry, when the harvest is ready to come in, it waits for nobody. And so this is the context of the story that Jesus is telling. It is harvest time. And so that means there is a sense of urgency. It was certainly true in my uncle's hayfields in Peace River, but it's especially true in vineyards, which is the setting of this story. And that is because Quick science lesson here. Grapes grown that are used for winemaking have natural sugars in them, which are fermented by yeasts to produce alcohol. And so the measurement of units of sugar inside of the grape is called BRICS, B-R-I-X. And you need to pick grapes from your vineyard at exactly the right amount of BRICS, or bad things will happen. You see, if you let grapes over-ripen, you have too much sugar in them, and then that will produce too much alcohol, and your wine will be flabby. If you don't have enough sugars in them, the resulting wine will be bitter and unpleasant and flavorless. And so at the point when your vineyard is ready, as a vineyard owner in the ancient world, you hustle to grab as many laborers as you can because it is go time. Like, your grapes need harvesting right now. And so this helps to explain the behavior of the vineyard owner in the parable. He goes first to find workers at 6 a.m. That's the start of the day for agricultural laborers in the ancient world. These were 12-hour sun-up till sundown work days. And most people in the first century didn't have regular, stable, lifelong employment situations. They were day laborers. And so you got up early, you went down to the market in the center of town or the city gate, and then you waited for someone to come along who would offer you employment for the day. And your daily bread for your family was dependent upon you finding work that day. And so in this parable, the vineyard owner finds some willing bodies there uh, pre-6 a.m. and sends them out to work. And it's also an important feature of this parable to understand that there is a labor agreement made between the workers who were hired at 6 a.m. and the vineyard owner in verse 2. The owner agrees to pay them the normal daily wage. Now, This is actually a bit of a generous offer on the vineyard owner's part because the unit of money that was the daily pay that is indicated here was the daily wage for a soldier. So that was higher than the going rate for a vineyard laborer. So this was already a lucrative offer. And these workers would have likely jumped at the chance to get out into the vineyard and get to work because this was going to be a good day for them. But the parable progressed, and we see that the vineyard owner has a problem. There's just not enough laborers to bring in the harvest. So he goes back to the market three hours later at 9 a.m., and sure enough, now there's more people there. So he hires more of them, again, telling them, hey, get out into the vineyard. I will pay you whatever is right at the end of the day. And they probably expected that going out working for nine out of the 12 hours you'd get, do the math, three quarters of a day's wage. And so upon that premise and agreement, they went out to work in the vineyard. But again, there's more clusters of grapes than there are workers to harvest them. So the owner goes back at noon and then again at 3 p.m. And again and again sends out more and more people out into the fields. See, the harvest is plentiful, and there's an urgency here to the work that needs to be done. But then at 5 p.m., one hour from the official close of the workday, something unusual happens. And the vineyard owner is in town and sees that there are still some day laborers who have not been hired for the day. And we don't know why they're still there at five. And so he says to them, please go join the others in my vineyard. And they do. And a 5 p.m. hire for a day laborer would be highly abnormal. Only one hour to work out of 12 And even if it was, it meant likely that these laborers would have expected to get one-twelfth of the pay that the others got. Because this wasn't even close then to a viable, livable wage to feed yourself or your family. So an hour of work, it's better than nothing, but it's definitely suboptimal for both parties. So imagine the shock And the surprise of these 5 p.m. hires when they're called up by the foreman to line up to receive their pay and they're at the front of the line and boom, the foreman puts into their hands at the explicit instruction of the owner the full amount for a full day's wage of labor. What a bonus. Like what incredible generosity, the news would have spread like wildfire through the lineup. And and we don't really know what the 9, noon, and 3 p.m. people got paid. We assume that they too got a full day's wage. But then we come now to the back of the line because those who were hired first are paid last. And there's dissension in the ranks. They assume that because those who only worked for one hour received a full day's wage, because they themselves worked for the full 12-hour shift, that they would be paid more. After all, they would have brought in more grapes, and they endured the scorching heat of the midday Mediterranean sun, as they point out. But the vineyard owner, who represents God in this parable, gives them a bit of a polite but corrective insight. Friends, the owner says, let's just talk reality here for a minute. You're not objecting to me being just. I am being fully fair to what we agreed on at the start of this day. What seems to be upsetting you is actually my generosity. See, Jesus is challenging those who believe that the world runs on a merit-only based system. People like me, and maybe like you, who feel a sense that justice means that giving those who work the longest and the hardest more than those who work and sneak in at the 11th hour. See, in this parable, justice is served, but the big difference is, Mercy is added. And it's helpful here to note that Jesus' original hearers would not have been shocked like we are by the merit thing. They would have been shocked by something else entirely in the story. Our biggest questions, because we live in a society that tends to be based on merit, centers around why is the landlord God being, uh, why isn't he being fair? But the original hearer's questions would have been along a different line of thinking. The original hearers would have thought something like, what are these crazy workers doing? Why are they getting lippy with the landlord? If their negative backtalk might mean they don't get future work. You guys should pipe down and be quiet. Be grateful you've received what you owed and what you agreed to. Put your head down, show up again before dawn in the market and hope that there's work to be done yet again. Don't ruin a good thing by complaining and getting all uppity. And high on yourself. See, we think that the parable is about merit or fairness, but in some ways we're missing the point. Jesus makes three very clear statements in this section of Scripture that help reinforce that this isn't actually about our assessment of our work, it's about God and about God's assessment of our character and our actions. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus says, the least shall be the greatest and the greatest the least. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, Jesus says the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And then in chapter 20, verses 26 and 27, Jesus says the servant shall be the leader and the leader shall be the servant. And so even beyond what we do, Jesus puts this parable into a context that this is about who God is and how God acts toward us. The parable really isn't about you. It's about God. And Jesus is saying very directly, God is a God of mercy and generosity, and this flows out of the kindness of God toward all that God has made. I love how this is expressed in Romans chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. The author of Romans was Paul, one of the early leaders and key thinkers and writers in the early Christian movement. And he came to a place of acknowledging Jesus later in his life. Uh, But he puts it this way in Romans 9, 15. God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose. And I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. See, friends, when it comes to God's mercy, we don't get to work for it or earn it. The scripture reminds us of this repeatedly in Ephesians chapter four and in so many other places that God is rich in compassion, slow to anger, abounding in love and mercy. And this merciful reward of eternal life gets extended toward all who say yes to Jesus and enter into that life-changing relationship with God, regardless of the point in their own life journey when they make that decision. The thief on the cross who died moments after confessing Jesus as Lord gets to share in the same eternal destiny as the Apostle Paul. Those who come late to the party are still guests at the eternal banquet. And Pastor Wally's is going to have more to say about this next weekend. And I love how that point also got reflected out in Dell's story. He talks about coming to a place of faith later in his life. But sometimes, friends, those who come in later outstrip and surpass those who come in early, but who take no notice of grace. So this whole parable, this whole section actually, is about Jesus making a point in, uh, about the way in which the value systems of the world are radically inverted in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, those who are greatest are really those who serve. Those who are the wealthiest are those who give money away to support and care for those who are poor and who exist on the margins. And as it is to be in the kingdom of God, it is to be true in our lives and in the family of God, the church. Friends, those who rush into a room and throw their weight or position around are not the powerful ones around here. Those who are humble, those who are gentle, those who love well, Those who serve behind the scenes sometimes for decades and without any accolades are those who are the greatest. So I think there are two takeaways for us from today. And the first is really targeted at those who feel that because of their long-standing position in the family of faith and all of the good things that they've done and the hours of service pouring their lives into others, times when they've stood faithful at their post, when others have abandoned ship, that they are somehow owed higher spiritual wages because of their higher spiritual sacrifice. And this can be particularly tempting or true if you grew up in the church and you have this sense of, but I've been here longer than you. It's very subtle, but it can creep in very quickly. And I know because I've felt it in my own life. A sense of subtle entitlement. That sneaks into a conversation. Well, they can't speak to me that way. Don't they know all the years of service that I've put in here at Jericho? Or a sense of pride. Pfft, I've given a lot to this church. I've given a lot of money to this church. My opinion ought to be considered more weightily than those who only throw in a few pennies every now and then. This is a 6 a.m. laborer vision of ourselves as somehow those who have sacrificed more are owed more. But Jesus says, no, it's not to be that way with you. Listen to how he frames the conversation later on in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, when the disciples are arguing about who should be the greatest. Jesus, in Matthew 20, 25, calls his disciples together and says, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people. Their officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it must be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus uses the story of the vineyard workers to help those of us who've been around the block a few times to check our egos and our privilege and our sense of what is owed to us at the door, both at the church setting and also what we think about the kingdom of heaven and what will be ours for all eternity. See, friends, the real prize is Jesus, and being with God forever. And whatever other rewards happen to come your way because of faithful service are just icing on the cake that is heaven. So if you've been around the block a few times, you may need to do some self-examination and ask where do I see myself standing in the lineup of the vineyard workers? Am I maybe subtly part of the group at the back of the line who begrudgingly thinks that God is somehow being unfair. And maybe we need to angle for a little bit more. Friends, all of us are here to serve. All of us are here to love. All of us are here to give up our lives for the sake of the kingdom of heaven and the lost around us. That is our mission. That is our place, Jericho. And I want to have that attitude grow in me and I want to invite you to pray that it would grow in your heart as well. And one of the ways that you can do that is just by making that your prayer and declaring that to God as we respond in worship, in song. The second direction that this parable heads in is to help us not only understand ourselves better, but to understand better the heart and the character of God more clearly. See, Jesus came to show us what God is like and Jesus is telling us very clearly here that God is unfathomably generous and God is irrationally merciful. And God is also so interested in you and in you being a vital vital part of God's family and being in relationship with you that God is still roaming the marketplace when the day is almost done to find you. And see, some of you have a distorted or clouded view of God. Maybe your experiences, even in a church community where you were wounded or your upbringing has led you to the conclusion that somehow God is angry with you or that God has forgotten about you. And friend, I want to say to you today that nothing could be further from the truth. See, in this parable, the vineyard owner is still in the marketplace when the day is almost done, searching, seeking, longing to be generous to those who need it. And that might be you listening or watching today, and you feel like the last or the least. And God's saying to you today, you might feel that way, but I still want you as part of my family. I am still opening that invitation to you to be a part of what I am doing. You may feel like you don't know as much as, as Wally, or maybe you can't pray big words like Gary Stevenson, or you can't love well like Katie Kwan, or you can't sense God's presence like Miriam Fox talks about, or you can't lead worship like Jesse Tillman does. friend. They may have said yes to the invitation to go out and work in God's field earlier in the workday than you, and they might have a different skill set than you, but I am here to tell you that you are still wanted, that there is still time, that the door is still open and the invitation of the king is still extended to you. And all you have to do is say yes because there is still room in God's family for you. And if that's you, we would just love to help you take the next step on your spiritual journey. I want you to email us at prayer at jerichoridge.com or if you're watching on our interactive church online platform, you can click on the Say Yes to Jesus button and that's going to put you into a private chat with one of our staff team. You may come or feel like you have come at the 11th hour, but you are welcome, not just in God's family, but also in our family here at Jericho Ridge. And the reason that I know that this is true is that we are all in need, not of what we deserve. That would be justice. We are all in need of God's mercy. Not just one time event, but day by day, hour by hour, moment by Moment, And so as we respond to God's word and God's character as revealed to us in God's word, Ruth Ellen and the team are going to lead us in songs that help us experience and express our need of this mercy and invite us to display that to a watching world. So I invite you to join and sing together with me.